The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. Hope everybody is doing well. We're going to talk about how the Green Bay Packers offense takes down the San Francisco 49ers defense. We're going to also talk about the Bucks sloppy January. You hear about dry Januarys. The Bucks are having themselves a sloppy one. Uh, we'll also chat about Golden Kegs for the Bucks-Hawks game. That should have been a happy moment for all of us. Yet the Bucks blew it in the fourth quarter, which has become a theme. And like I said, we'll do a lot on the Bucks in the second half of the show. We'll do a quick mention with Marquette at the very end as well. So big show today. I think tapping the keg tomorrow, so you can stay tuned for that. And then we'll be back doing Daily Tap on Thursday and Friday. Friday, a little different. Maybe not as much gambling as we've done. Um, let me know how you think about that. If you want the gambling hit me up. If you don't want the gambling, also hit me up. I want to know, be a part of the people and take everybody's feedback. If you just kind of want a weekend preview of what's happening in the state of Wisconsin, I am here for you. I can deliver that because that is what we do best here. All right, let's move on to the Green Bay Packers offense against that San Francisco 49ers defense. For years, I think people have been scared of the San Francisco 49ers defense. Really before Kyle Shanahan, before Nick Bosa, before Fred Warner, people have been intimidated by this Niners defense. It stems from the Richard Sherman days, the Justin Smith days, the Eldon Smith days before Eldon Smith went off the reservation. I mean, they had some great, great players throughout the years. I'm sure I'm missing a lot of names, and I'm sure you guys are cussing me out in your car or at home. But the Niners have always been known for their defense. They have kind of prided themselves, if you will, on the defense and on running the football. That's what the Niners have been really since Jim Harbaugh. Now, they had a couple speed bumps throughout the way. Shout out to Jim Tom Sula. But they've obviously righted the ship. And they do have an offensive, quote-unquote, mastermind in Kyle Shanahan. So that plays into it. But the defense is just as important. Robert Salah was an excellent defensive coordinator. He has now moved on. D'Amico Ryans is doing a pretty good job as the defensive coordinator as well for the 49ers. Some think he might be up for coaching jobs, if not this year, likely next year and after. So how do the Packers combat that? The Packers have been one of the best offenses in football. They have dominated through the air and they have pounded on the ground. They are a true dual threat. They can do it both and they do it really well. And the fact that Green Bay has been able to have a great offense with a banged up offensive line throughout the entire year has truly been impressive. So how does this Packers team beat this Niners defense? Should we be scared of this Niners defense? Should we worry about this Niners defense? Or do the Packers have what it takes to basically combat what the Niners will be throwing at them all game long? Let's talk about some of the headlines, shall we say, or the things that we should be looking for when it comes to the Packer offense and how they will beat the 49ers. This is my foolproof plan. I guarantee you, Matt LaFleur is talking about this and everybody else. Just kidding. Matt LaFleur knows a little bit more than your boy. First thing is the Rodgers Adam connection. Rodgers Adams connection. Let's restart that. The first thing is the Rodgers Adams connection is going to be there all game long. 
We talked yesterday about how Devontae Adams has absolutely ruled against the San Francisco 49ers. He's had, you know, six or seven catches. He's had a touchdown in each of the last five games. He's had two touchdowns in a couple of those. Devontae Adams owns the 49ers, and he can have another big day on Saturday night. The connection that Rodgers and Adams has have is unlike any in football, and it should terrify the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners have not been able to cover a number one wide receiver all year, and now they face the best in the game who torched them for 12 for 132. Their only hope is the weather. Their only hope is that maybe what Baltimore did, could they bracket Devontae and basically take him out of this football game? I think the Packers are going to be ready for that. I think the Packers are going to prepare for that. I think they're going to have plays designed to basically tell the Niners, you're not fucking doing this. And whether that is a throw to Lazard one-on-one, whether that's Marquez running it down the field or finding Josiah in, in open space or Aaron Jones, trust me when I say if the bracket coverage comes out, Green Bay will be ready for that. I guarantee you. That has been a scouted look. That has been something Matt LaFleur has been talking to his guys all week. So, yes, there is a chance for the connection not to work. But even in that bracket coverage, remember, Devontae had seven catches. And I think he had a touchdown in that game as well. So it wasn't like Devontae. Yeah, he did because he torched that guy right on the goal line uh, in the early part of the game. So don't act like Devontae Adams was like held to no yards, no no receptions. He still ate a little bit against the Baltimore Ravens, but it was kind of like an airplane snack. Like it was kind of like what Southwest gives you on the flight. Like it was cheese and crackers. It wasn't like the fucking flame mignon they had against the San Francisco 49ers the first time they faced each other. So I do think Devontae's going to have another big game. I also think another way to beat this team is... Letting a guy like Alan Lazard go off. I think Alan Lazard has had such a good finish to this season. He is, to me, one of the more important pieces of this game. I think you could lump in all the receiving core. But basically, I think the Packers win by involving Lazard a lot. And I think having Lazard be a focal point of this team, whether it's run blocking, which he's one of the best receivers, is not the best receiver at, at sealing the edge, but also getting involved in the pass game, finding those open spots. I think there is a level of trust with Lazard that has reached new heights with Aaron Rodgers. Like I think if you had to do the Aaron Rodgers trust chart and look at it like green bean, I trust you the most, red bean, I hate your fucking guts, never be out here again, I think Devontae Adams is the greenest of green. He is like... I'm trying to think of a good, like, bright, what, like, I don't know, like, what you see out in a forest, or, I mean, it is the brightest green, guys, all right? I think Alan Lazard is, like, a light green. Like, I think Alan Lazard is a light green to maybe, we're starting to get to that forest green, shout out to Celeste Trojans. Like, that is kind of where we're getting with Alan Lazard. I think Rodgers trusts him. I think Rodgers knows he's going to make big plays, and that's kind of where I think the trust tree is with Rodgers. I think from there, oh, Big Dog would be another guy I'd put in the green. Uh, I, then I think in the yellow, I think it's like a, a dark piss yellow. Like that kind of yellow where you're hungover and you take your first pee of the day. That yellow, that is what Marquez Valdez-Scanlon is. So I don't think he's yet green, but I think he's close. Like I think he's almost there. He's almost there. 
But right now, still in, in the yellow. Josiah DeGuerra, much lighter yellow. Tyler Davis, much lighter yellow. Um, Randall Cobb, I forgot about completely because I forgot he hasn't played. Uh, another guy worth mentioning. And I, I think he's in, obviously, the deep green as well. Um, and so to circle back on Cobb, I, I don't want to lose sight of Lazard. I don't want Lazard to become an afterthought. Like, Randall Cobb was really valuable for this team, but when Randall Cobb was kind of making the third down plays, there wasn't a lot from Lazard. I hope that they do not go away from Lazard or Valis Scantling because Cobb is back. That is the one, those are those little nuanced things. When you think about guys coming back from injury, it's like, how does it all mesh together? And they really haven't had that time. Now, Cobb could be inactive and we don't have to worry about that. But if Cobb's going to play in this game, which I think he's going to, they're going to have to work on how do you rotate those three guys with Devontae Adams. Because I'd hate Lazard to lose a bunch of snaps because the guys earned it. The guy's been really special down the stretch. Who knows? Maybe Cobb gets a little bit of Wally Pip and he becomes a third down wide receiver. And that's all Randall Cobb is. And it's mostly the Lazard and Adams show, which I'd be totally fine with. Other things, how this team would beat the... The San Francisco 49ers is at the offensive line dominating the Niners pass rush. So making sure that the Niners pass rush does not do anything. Remember, Aaron Rodgers got sacked once in that game against San Francisco in week number three. And they had Nick Bosa. Um, they I don't think they had all their guys, but they had Nick Bosa. And everyone worried that Nick Bosa was going to wreak havoc on Josh Neiman. None of us knew who Josh Neiman was. Josh Neiman did an excellent job. After getting swallowed up by Bosa in like one of the first plays of the game, after that, Aaron Rodgers was clean. I think the Green Bay Packers offensive line is on a mission this year. Having David Bakhtiari is going to be huge. If they have Josh Myers back as well, that's a massive upgrade for this Packers team. Oh, I think they will have Myers. Myers played last week. So have Josh Myers back as well. And then the question is, who do you go out right guard? Lucas Patrick off the COVID list um, with... Royce Newman's struggling all year. I have to believe it's Lucas Patrick. I have to believe Lucas Patrick is the answer. And then, who knows? With right tackle, do you go back to Neiman? Can Neiman play right tackle? I think some people don't understand the left and right is not as simple as it looks. You could think that it's simple, but trust me, it takes time. And not everybody can do it. So if Josh Neiman is a left tackle, he's a left tackle. And that's Dennis Kelly. But I, I had a little bit of hesitation about Dennis Kelly against Detroit. Almost felt like Dennis Kelly was kind of getting exposed. But if the Packers are going to win this football game, the offensive line has to show up. And I think they will. I really do expect a big game from the line, whether it be Pat protecting Aaron Rodgers or pushing the ball downfield with the running game. Another way the Packers win this game is if they rush for 50-plus yards. Now, 50-yard Charlie, that is so low. The Packers have been able to do that with the combination of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon all year. I get that. The Niners are really fucking good at stopping the run. They have all their guys. Fred Warner is going to play. And so it's there's going to be no Bosa, no Warner. Or, I'm sorry. The reason why is because this run defense is really good. Bosa and Warner are going to be playing. They're going to be hungry for blood. This is not going to be easy for that Packer running attack. Now, they've been able to run the ball all season long. We really have not seen Green Bay get slowed by any team. 
and it's the combination of Jones and Dillon. And it's going to be really hard to tackle A.J. Dillon as the game goes on. I imagine, if I were Green Bay, and I'm thinking, how do I win this game? I start with Aaron Jones. I start as Aaron Jones is kind of the soften it up. Like, get it kind of going, couple body shots here and there. Maybe you break one, maybe you don't. And then A.J. Dillon is kind of the thunder, and you bring that in late second quarter as you're starting to feel cold, as you're starting starting to get chilly, and then that second half is all A.J. Dillon with a little bit of Jones sprinkled in, and you are just pounding the football. I'm not saying that Green Bay needs to run the ball X amount of times versus passing it, but I do think if Green Bay can kind of get it going and get a combination of sorts, they're going to be really hard to stop. I actually think that A.J. Dillon creates more of a problem for San Francisco than, let's say, a Tony Pollard. Because you know Dallas had their combination of Zeke and Pollard, but Zeke revealed he had a torn PCL. So maybe this is an opportunity to really see a good running attack. I will also throw this out there for you about the Niners running attack, which the numbers profile, I'm sorry, Niners run defense, they profile really well. Like you look at all the stats, it all makes sense. But let's just let's just consider this for a second. Seattle really didn't have a run game until the very end of the year with Rashad Penny. That was that. Then you had Arizona, who had James Conner, who just scored touchdowns. But Arizona really wasn't that strong at running the football. And then you have the Los Angeles Rams, who similarly had Daryl Henderson, then Sony Michelle, now Cam Akers is back. Like they didn't really have a running attack either. So that's six games right there. So is it possible that a Niners run defense is a little inflated based on who they've played? Now, I understand if someone was doing a Niners podcast and almost as a response to me, they would easily say, oh, well, the Packers playing the NFC North and the Rodgers numbers against the NFC North versus everybody else is stunning. Yes, I get all of that. But at the same time, I do think the Packers are going to prevail. And one of the ways they're going to do it is running the football. And I, I, you cannot abandon the run. I think that's really important here. And, and basically, you make sure that you keep attacking and you keep softening up that Niners team. And yeah, if it's a, it's a ball control game and it really becomes first to 20, well, fucking play that way then. Don't give the Niners chances to drain the clock. And they're going to try very, very hard to drain the clock. There's a part of me that if Green Bay wins the toss, I want them to get the ball first. I do not want San Francisco to have this opening drive from God. Like Kyle Shanahan, we talked about it yesterday. I'm sure I'll talk about it all week. He can script 15 plays with the best of them. Kyle Shanahan is like that old rock group that's coming out with like their three or four biggest hits when their concert starts. Like that's what Kyle Shanahan is bringing to the table with those 15 plays. After those 15 plays are over, you guys should do this at home. I'm going to be at Lambeau, soft flex, but we can talk about it in a second here. But script out those 15 plays. Like don't write what they are. You don't have to even like say, oh, this was a corner pass or this is a run to Debo. But like count in your head. Like, all right, that's one, that's two, that's three, that's four, that's five, and so on. And then see after 15 is over, where does the script go? To me, it goes out the window. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we're doing the Packer defense versus the Niners offense. But 
for this, I, I just want to emphasize that Green Bay cannot abandon the run and also to maybe take the kickoff and try to see if you can be the aggressor. Green Bay has struggled mightily in first quarters this year. And I, that's another thing in how Green Bay wins is they do not start off flat. Green Bay cannot come out with the lack of juice. I would be stunned. I know that place is going to be rocking and rolling. It's the first playoff game with fans at Lambeau Field since that Seattle, with like a full stadium, excuse me, since that Seattle game in 2019, actually that was 2020 actual year. And that place will be hot. Like that's going to have some hot fucking piss in there. And I can't wait. Like I'm so excited to go. Be my first Packer playoff game. There's a little bit of nerves there. Not going to lie. Like if the Packers do end up losing, which I I really don't think is going to happen, it's going to be a lot of beers at Stadium View. Let's just put it that way. I, I will drown my sorrows in a tub of Miller Lite because I will not be able to take it. Witnessing that live is always the scary thought. I have to feel that Bucks fans felt the same way in certain you know games, whether it was Game Six of the Eastern Semis or the Game Five where the Bucks are, or Game Four, excuse me, where the Bucks are looking like they're going to trail three one, trailing Phoenix the entire game, and they pull it out of their ass. I I couldn't even imagine. Um, so I'm sure the nerves are going to be running really high. For me in the stands. Hopefully I'll have a nice liquid layer. So I won't be thinking as much about it. Or thinking about how cold it is. But it's football weather. Lastly. For Green Bay to win. Just can't, turnovers can't happen. Now I know it's part of the game. It does happen. But if you start turning the ball over. And giving the Niners short fields. They're going to win, win the game. And they're going to be the ones that come out victorious. Not the Green Bay Packers. So can't have turnovers. Lastly, if we want an X Factor, we'll think of a better name because I hate X Factor. Everybody uses X Factor. Factor back, no, it's, he's not a back. Um, the guy, I guess, who matters the most, the guy that I will have my eyes on is David Bakhtiari. Because Bakhtiari was only able to play a half. He said he was fatigued. I just worry, is he conditioned to play a full football game and will he be able to do it as good as Josh Newman did in week three. And I know you're like, Charlie, David Bakhtiari is the best offensive lineman in football. It takes a while to recover from knee injuries. He is a year out. Sometimes we see it where it really takes a guy a full year before they're healthy. Now, maybe offensive linemen are different spe- just different specimens. I know I feel myself as that way. But who knows? So I've been watching Bakhtiari. I think he's going to be a guy that you pay attention to all game long and see how he does. Now, I know he has all the trust in Aaron Rodgers. Again, another dark green trust. We need to work on that green. Somebody, emerald? Maybe emerald green. Let's do emerald green. The emerald green trust. David Bakhtiari, definitely in the emerald green trust area. So, yes, we will do more on Packers Niners as the week moves on. Mitch and I will have something. We'll have then the defense on Thursday, and then we'll just do a cumulative preview, talk about storylines, talk about anything else that we are hearing as the, what a divisional weekend we have. I mean, these matchups are orgasmic. I mean, these matchups like make you want to feel like you're a 12 year old and run up to your room. Like that's how it feels. You have Bengals Titans, which I actually think sneaky a good game. Like you have Joe Burrow, 
versus David Derrick Henry. There's David Henry. Derrick Henry. The Packers Niners, which we've talked already a lot about. Buccaneers Rams on Sunday. Unbelievable game. Uh, the Rams have kind of had Brady's number the last two years. I, I hopefully I think that narrative is going to get talked about. Can Maddie Stafford deliver when it matters the most? We'll see. And then you got Bills Chiefs to end it out. Bills Chiefs to end it out is so great. It is such a perfect way to finish. We talked about that rock band. That's like ending with Welcome to the Jungle. That's like ending with Crazy Game of Poker. Sidebar is OAR band. I don't know. That's like ending with. I was I was gonna go Gold Digger for Kanye, but it, it would it be that song about Paris. That that would that would be be the one. That to me is one where I think. That's how it's ending with Bills and Chiefs. You should be so excited for Bills and Chiefs that you can hardly stand it. I mean, Niners Packers, obviously number one, but Bills and Chiefs is like right underneath. Mahomes versus Allen. I I think Josh Allen's going to step up. I, I do think my, I'll just say this initially. My initial thought is I'm going to hammer the Titans, bet the Packers, obviously, um, Rams, I will take um, with the points and maybe take the money line. And then I'm going to probably take the Chiefs because I think the Bills are way too obvious. I might, my, my heart, in my heart, I want to take the Bills, okay? In my heart, I want to take the Bills. I love Josh Allen, just like I love Joe Burrow. Like in my heart, I'd like to take the Bengals. I lamented betting against Joe Burrow last weekend. But in my head, the Titans line is too low. They're catching suckers. The Bills line is too low. They're catching suckers. That's all I'll say. So just stay with me. Would not be surprised if it's Green Bay, Los Angeles next week. And Green Bay gets another another West Coast team to come into Lambeau Field. All right, let's move on. We've talked a lot about football already. I didn't think this would be like a 50-minute podcast. I was like, okay, it's been a little shorter than yesterday. Haven't even done the Hawaii review yet. Maybe we'll save that for Friday or Thursday's show. Uh, let's talk about the Bucks sloppy, sloppy January. So we all know when people start the month of January, it's all about getting fit. It's all about getting maybe healthy or just making healthy changes, right? You know, changing your, the way you approach your day, maybe a relationship. You know, January is just a great month to like reset. For me personally, I said this to my wife yesterday. I was like, you know, yesterday was kind of the new year for me. Like while we had the week, it really was this break until we go to holiday. We go on holiday. Yes, I sound like I'm from Britain. But we go to the holiday. Now we're back. Now it's New Year's. Now we're trying to lose some weight. We're trying to, everybody's trying to do do different things, make make smart decisions, the whole gamut. And when I say we are trying to lose weight, that's a royal we. I'm not talking about my wife at all. Let me be abundantly clear on that. No, I am trying to lose weight. Uh, it was the Royal We there. I tend to get into the Royal We. But anyways, the Bucks started off January great. It looked like the Bucks were ready to make a run. You look at their schedule upcoming, and you're like, all right, you got Detroit, you got Toronto, you got a showdown with Brooklyn, but then you have Charlotte twice, showdown with Golden State, and then Toronto again. And so it looked like the Bucks were poised to make this run. And they had won their sixth straight game. They looked extremely crisp against the... New Orleans Pelicans, and really put them in the ground. The vibes were feeling great after day one of the new year. And it almost felt like, all right, same shit, different year. 
the Bucks are ready to get another championship mounted on their wall at the Fiserv Forum. But then it all fell off the rails. It's like you, after two weeks of going on a diet, all of a sudden you look at that Chick-fil-A or you see you know something else that catches your eye and you're like, all right, maybe, or I can skip the gym or I can, you just start making excuses left and right. The Bucks didn't really even wait for that two week grace period. It went off the rails immediately. They lose to Detroit because they don't come ready to play. Giannis doesn't play against Toronto. They ship up the Raptors in the first half, but the game didn't end at halftime. And the Raptors make the true second half adjustments to beat the Bucks. Then you get a good win against Brooklyn. No Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday then is out with an ankle injury, not COVID. But it, it appears like the ship's on the right track again. You're looking at it and you're like, okay, they had just won six games. I won this other one. They've won seven and nine. It's we're still we're still feeling good. We're still we're still doing all right. You go to Charlotte. Everybody is dead besides the star players. Like everybody exerted all their energy against Brooklyn. No one had legs besides Giannis, Chris, and Bobby. And the Bucks were beat down pretty good in that one. Like that game at halftime was a Charlotte six-point lead, and I think it was a 14-point lead by the end of the third quarter. So it was pretty ugly. And then you go back to Charlotte or you stay. Well, you stayed in Charlotte, but you have another game against Charlotte on Monday. Another game that Green or Milwaukee should have won and should have had that in their clutches, and then they fell apart down the stretch. They did not play well down the stretch, and Charlotte escapes, and Charlotte gets the sweep of the box, and it was really bad. Like that was a really again another kind of egg on your face loss, a loss that actually makes you feel shitty and not just oh they've won six or seven straight and they lost one. They were due. These aren't due losses. These are losses. These are wins that you expect the Bucks to clean up. Like the Bucks in late game situations are about as good as I was closing girls at college bars. Like that. That's how bad they fucking are right now in terms of late game situation stuff. Now the funniest thing is they go back home. They play the Golden State Warriors and they absolutely destroy Golden State, and they really send a state. No one really cares about it, probably because it's Wild Card Weekend. But maybe it's a good thing they didn't care because they, they play Toronto in two days. Again, they jump out to a really big lead. I, I don't really want to hone too far in on that. It's first quarter. As you know, I'm team first quarter don't matter. They're still up three at halftime. And again, Nick Nurse makes these adjustments in the second half and the Bucks look lost. Really saw the lack of Brooke Lopez show up in that game, and the Bucks lose yet again. So Bucks have now lost six of their last nine games. The Bucks are the fifth seed in the East. They trail the Bulls and the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA's Central Division. All of a sudden, a powerhouse. The Bucks need to wake up. They just cannot keep fucking up. If you look at this stretch of sloppiness, they've at least cost themselves two wins. You could maybe argue a third if you want, but they cost themselves two wins. And with how the East looks right now, if you've looked at it, it's pretty damn crazy. Those two wins might matter. Tim Allen of the uh, WSSP postgame show, when Brewer fans would kind of be like, why are you overreacting to this random 
May game where the Brewers blew a save and they lost the game. And Allen would always go, like, game one is just as important as game 162. And I think the same logic can be applied to the Bucks. Game one is just as important as game 82. And the Bucks need to bring it every fucking night. And this was embarrassing on Monday. The Bucks 20-5 run, the Hawks were on. Way too much George Hill, which I'll get to in a second. They just really were bad in this one. And it really was just a bad fourth quarter because they were up 12. I mean, they were up 12 the first, second, third, or the third half. Ugh. It was really just the fourth quarter because they were up by 12 in the second half. Like They were cruising. I made the joke with some friends. I was like, the Bucks have to play on national TV the rest of the year, apparently, because that's the only way they're going to win basketball games. And now you have to face a tough Memphis team. Chicago's going to have Caruso and ball back, so they're going to look a lot different than the team we've seen the last week or two really struggle. So it's on, man. The Bucks should be gearing their mindset towards April and look at the standings and say, we have some work to do. If the Bucks go on a crazy hot streak and kind of distance themselves from the pack, then they can, they can push off the gas pedal. But the Bucks need to stop riding around like it's a lazy Sunday morning and they have nothing better to do than get some donuts. They need to have some passion. They need to have some fury. And I really hope it starts with Memphis because I'm pretty fed up with watching this second-rate basketball version of the world champs. As for Golden Kegs, so real quick on Golden Kegs. I'm going to do like an explainer and do a highlight on Instagram stories, tabbing the keg sports if you're not following there. But what it's what Golden Kegs are is rating the best players from the games, whether win or loss. We didn't do Marquette. I said we were going to do Marquette. I'm going to talk about Marquette after we do the Bucks Golden Kegs. We're not going to do Golden Kegs because I'm like, game was fucking Saturday, dude. No one gives a shit. I posted on social media. Um, so check that out. But let's talk Golden Kegs for the Milwaukee Bucks. We will do Golden Kegs, win or lose. It's a great way to recap the game, talk about the top players, talk about the top moments in the game, and you know, give you guys sort of that view in case you might have missed it or you weren't around your TVs or you missed it on social media, whatever. We are here to help. I think it's I think it's going to be an enjoyable experience for the rest of the way. Feedback is always welcomed. Um, and Golden Keg, a staple of Milwaukee. If you don't know, look it up. And yes, I will have a Golden Keg in my basement. Three Golden Kegs goes to the Giannis dunk on John Collins. I don't really like John Collins. John Collins just rubs me the wrong way. I, the whole Hawks team kind of rubs me the wrong way. My guy Shay was telling me that uh, in chat today and was like, man, I hate this fucking team. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of do too. Like, it's not just Trey Young. It's all of them. It's Bogdan Bogdanovich, who you know I'm still salty about. John Collins, uh, Owangu is really good, but man, he he seems to be a type of guy that's been giving the Bucks fits recently, similar to what we've seen with Siakam and Boucher out of Cleveland, so or uh, Toronto, excuse me. So I definitely have a distaste for Atlanta. So to see Giannis put John Collins right through. The basket was very enjoyable. I would watch that over and over again. Feel free to make that an NFT if you want. Uh, really good dump on the sides of the Kumbo. That should not be lost in the fact the Bucks blew a lead in the fourth quarter. 
And maybe, just maybe, the reason why I avoided giving this guy three kegs, Chris Middleton, gets two kegs is because he had eight turnovers. And it's really hard for me to be like, all right, yeah, this guy played quote-unquote great to the tapping the keg standard when he had eight fucking turnovers in a game. I just can't do that. That is like excusing the mediocrity that was Chris Middleton's ball handling skills. As my guy Shafty pointed out, there's a reason why the Milwaukee Bucks went out to go get Drew Holiday. Like, that, that's exactly it. Because Chris Middleton can't have the ball this much down the stretch. He turns the ball over. He, he just, I feel like he makes too many decisions out there. Like, I think it's a real overthink. I think Chris Middleton just needs to go out and fucking ball. He doesn't need to worry about Giannis. He doesn't need to worry about anybody else. Like, Chris Middleton needs to get into that hot zone that we saw a couple different times in the playoffs. That's the Chris Middleton we need. Middleton showed a little bit of that with the 34-point effort. One of his best offensive games, if you take away the turnovers. I realize the turnovers stand out like a sore thumb. But trust me when I say this was a very good Middleton game. And if this is kind of the start of Chris Middleton getting hot, that would be a massive lift for the Bucks. But he needs to do more when it comes to ball handling in the fourth quarter. That just cannot happen. One star over to Pat Connaughton. Really good game from Pat off the bench. I feel like it's been a while since I've seen Pat Connaughton sort of break through off the bench. Now, granted, I was in Hawaii, so if he has had a good game in the last week or two, forgive me. But really good stuff from Connaughton. 14 points, 6 rebounds. I think he made most of his shots, and he only missed one uh, in the game. So nice to see from Connaughton. Hopefully that can continue. The Bucks have been an absolute disaster on their bench. I know some people want to point out that, yeah, they're 2-3 and three without Boogie. Here's the thing. Boogie couldn't play defense. I don't know how much Boogie would have helped with rebounding. I get that Toronto was really good on the boards. But Boogie, did he really keep up with Toronto? Was he a reason why the Bucks beat the Raptors that night? He, I mean, he balled out. He had 20 points, 15 rebounds. But it, it, he lost. And at some point, you have to wonder, is, there, is he just a perennial loser? Like, I realize he won a title with the Golden State Warriors, but I just, I don't know, man. It's something about him where it, it just, it doesn't work. It just does not work. Giannis and him were terrible defensively against, with each other. And that's all you need to know about why Boogie is here. And also, kind of weird, nobody has went just balls to wall and said, oh yeah, let's go get Boogie. Someone said he's on Denver, uh, but I have not seen uh, Boogie Cousins emerge uh, after his stint with the Milwaukee Bucks. The bar complaint that I have, uh, so it was kind of like an additive. This is just like something else, a um, little sort of flavor saver at the end, if you will. Uh, my bar complaint, uh, and it'll be bar themed. So I think yesterday it was like the skunk stat of the night. I will take different sort of themes. Feel free to submit uh, on the socials, tab the keg on Twitter and Tab the Cake Sports on Instagram. Way too much fucking George Hill. George Hill is a fossil, all right? Do I think George Hill is fine as a back and corner guard? Yeah, I do. I think he does enough. I don't expect George Hill to be our savior, but all of a sudden I was transformed back to 2018. I was wondering where Malcolm Brogdon was. I was wondering if Malcolm Brogdon was going to show up in this game. George Hill should not be closing games. The fact that Grayson Allen isn't closing games is kind of weird, and I really hope that someone on the box media side of things ask Mike Boonholz that question because I think it's an important one to ask. You need somebody else out there and 
It's not continental with George Hill. I realize that Drew Holiday comes back. He's not going to be in the crunch time. But if I'm assuming that Holiday is going to be out for multiple games, you cannot have George Hill out there. And also, let me add, George Hill against John Morant will be the biggest mismatch in NBA history. John Morant will absolutely torch George Hill. That, you cannot have George Hill play in that game. If you do, it's when John Morant's out. John, 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 ugh. John Morant. Say five times fast. It's kind of hard. It gets you. Uh, John Morant is out of the game. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens when they play Memphis. I really hope they come out with a little more piss and vinegar. Moving on, last thing I just wanted to touch really quickly on is Marquette. Continue to play really well. Continue to look like a tournament team. Jerry Palm had them as an eight seed playing the very talented Auburn team. If they were to advance, they would play the San Francisco Dons in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, so that would be an interesting matchup. Uh, Marquette, I'm sure, might have played San Francisco back in the day. But yeah, eight seed now for the Marquette Golden Eagles. That's pretty damn good. That means there is some room for error. And I'm not saying that they're going to lose. I know we talked a little bit about it yesterday, so I don't mean to repeat myself, but since... We didn't have the Golden Kegs. I thought, you know, we should at least talk a little bit more about Marquette. I think what Tyler Kolick has done this year is really special. I think he's a guy that deserves Big East honors when the year ends, if Kolick continues this success. Uh, Justin Lewis has been great. We haven't seen as much uh, Osa Iguodara as I would like. I'm a big Desert Bear guy. I, they, it seems like they have a lot of good stuff going right now. Their pick and roll has been phenomenal. They're finding guys open. I, I, I just don't know what more I can say. That Creighton game felt like we were headed back to Wojo, and it was like, ah, ha, ha, you silly fools, and you got kicked down the well. But instead, they rose up like a phoenix, and they've been so good for the last two weeks. Uh, it's been really special to see. And I would argue that unexpected good seasons, as long as you're not necessarily worried about a draft pick or something, even if you are, it's like one of the best feelings in the world. It's just a great feeling. Like, a, like Cleveland, so Cleveland beat Brooklyn today. Cleveland now 28 and 17. Like their, the excitement Cavs fans must have right now is off the chart. They haven't had something this exciting for basketball-wise since LeBron. And they have a team that like all really likes each other. Darius Garland's fun. Evan Mobley's good. Jared Allen. like How can you not kind of like this Cavaliers team? There is definitely something special about that. And it's fun to be the champs. It's fun to try to repeat. There's just something wild about it. Something that just gets you going, man. And I'm definitely hoping that we can continue to ride this out. I actually hope the Cavs lose a few more games since they're on the same record as the Milwaukee Bucks. But I definitely think that Marquette should be feeling good. There are last four buys for Joe Lenardi. So I guess he's, they're not completely out of the woods, but I definitely like what I'm seeing for the Marquette Golden Eagles and hope that they can kind of continue uh, what they're doing. And for those bracketology folks that are Wisconsin fans, if Wisconsin keeps this up, they're going to get to play in Milwaukee. And I think that really should be the motivation for the batters, that they will get the first two games in Milwaukee. And that will be a madhouse. 
And as someone who was going to have tickets for that, I'm glad I don't. Just glad. You guys know how I feel about the Badgers. I don't need to explain myself yet again. Yeah, Lenardi has uh, Marquette a 10, also in Greenville, playing West Virginia, rematch. And then playing Duke. Apparently, Lenardi has just recycled his fucking, like, four years ago dream matchup, Wojo uh, versus Duke um, and in Greenville. Because remember, Marquette went to Greenville as a 10 seed to play South Carolina. Uh, they lost. South Carolina would then propel that into a Final Four appearance. Uh, so actually not, not as bad of a loss in retrospect, if you think about it. All right, that does it for the show. I think tabbing the keg tomorrow. If we don't have tabbing the keg tomorrow, you'll be here with me. And we'll talk defense, uh, what the Packers do defensively to win the game against the 49ers. Um, and then I'm sure some Bucks previewing, some Marquette previewing, Big Wednesday night of college hoops and NBA with Marquette Memphis, or Marquette Memphis. I knew I was going to do it. Milwaukee and Memphis and Marquette and Villanova. So excited for both of those games. Should be, should be great. All right, guys. Take care of yourself. Have a stellar Tuesday. Back tomorrow. Bye.